delightful in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it probably was the highlight of his career. A little background to this story of Elijah, who was the dissenter against the king and queen, who called them on their idolatry. They're worshiping something other than God, putting something else as the ultimate. Baal. The worshipers of Baal meaning the master or the possessor or perhaps the god of the cattle, which uh, Walter Brueggemann, uh, New Testament, or Old Testament scholar, says the god of the economy or the god of op- overconsumption. And Elijah, Elijah, the prophet's name simply means the god of the Hebrews is the true god. So... Even his name was an affront to the worshipers of Baal. And Elijah is fearless. He's totally outnumbered. Total exaggeration. 450 false prophets. And Elijah recklessly ridicules them for their worship of Baal. And he performs a spectacular miracle in a contest with these false prophets. False prophets are the ones who tell the king and queen what they want to hear, not the truth, but what they want to hear. Elijah calls down fire on the altar, and the false prophets can't get Baal to create fire. So Elijah does this overwhelming demonstration of how superior God is. And then he kills them all. So, it's violent, but it's success, right? But now the queen and king are after him. He's under threat of death, so he runs for his life. Out to the wilderness, he goes alone, and he sits under a solitary broom tree. A broom tree is a weed. So he doesn't, basically what that's saying is he has no shelter. invite you to listen to this story again with your own transition in mind. Notice I assume everyone in here is in some kind of transition. Whatever transition you're in personally or in community, maybe suddenly, like a diagnosis of illness, whether it's been long planned, like retirement, or a new stage of life with your kids, a graduation, an ending of one stage, not quite knowing what comes next. Our old way of serving God is finished, abruptly in Elijah's case. Note, I'm assuming all of us have a call from God, a vocation to use our gifts to serve God's purposes. So Elijah's, just at the moment of his brilliant success, it looks like his career is ended as a prophet. 
So he falls asleep under this broom tree and an angel appears, feeds him, commands him, get up and eat. So he does and he falls asleep again a second time. The angel wakes him up and feeds him and says, get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. So there's another journey. This is not the end. And on the strength of that food, I, Elijah journeys 40 days and 40 nights. If that sounds familiar, it's because 40 is biblical shorthand for enough time. As much time as is needed for this transition. And the small amount suffices for the next part of the journey. So Elijah goes to Mount Horeb, what we remember as Sinai, the mountain where his ancestors have encountered God before, where his ancestors received the covenant, the covenant that Elijah has just risked his life to defend. Sinai is where God appeared to Moses in the earthquake and the wind and the fire. So Elijah goes to a cave in that mountain. A cave. To hide? Is it the womb of rebirth? Or is it a place to die? The word of the Lord comes to Elijah there and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Actually, I have no sense of the tone of voice of that. <laughs> I mean, maybe there was no criticism or accusation. It's simply the question that allows Elijah to tell the whole story again, to pour out his lament to God. And I think it's the kind of question we, we also hear, maybe in our own heads, when we're in transition. Either when a goal in life is just completed and we're waiting for the what next, or when something has gone awry, not according to plan, and we're kind of discombobulated or at a loss. Or maybe the transition is simply the bored waiting when we're tired of the same old, same old. And we hear, what are you doing here? And Elijah recites the whole story. I've been zealous. It's a huge success here, but this is not what he wanted. Here I am on the run. And he complains to God that the people have been unfaithful. He actually sounds a little bit self-centered, maybe even arrogant here. He kind of overestimates the sense of his own importance. And it's a bit self-pitying. I alone am left. I'm no better than my ancestors. I wonder if he thought he could do better than Moses. He's just fled for his life and he wants to die. Then it says the word of the Lord, or the angel, tells Elijah that God is about to pass by, and Elijah waits. So there's a great wind, a storm, but God is not in the storm. There's an earthquake, but God is not in the earthquake. Then fire, but God is not in the fire. 
And then the sound of sheer silence. So the way that Elijah might have expected, the way that God was revealed to Moses, is not the way that God is present for Elijah. There's a newness and a surprise here. Hearing the sheer silence, Elijah wraps his mantle about his face. The mantle is the symbol of his office as a prophet goes out to the entrance of the cave and God addresses him. Why are you here, Elijah? It's 40 days later and it's the same question. Why are you here, Elijah? And it's the same answer, repeated word for word. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. The same answer suggests to me that Elijah's a bit stuck. He's lost his nerve. He's lost his zeal, his energy, his call. He's despairing. He can't see his purpose. And he feels alone. And so he recites that lament one more time. And this time God sends him on again. The American theologian Trevor Eppenheim says that Elijah is like all of us. He's in that existential fact of being human that we fear, that we we find ourselves in an indifferent, maybe even a hostile universe. And how are we going to find the strength to continue? But as Elijah discovers, we are, in fact, not in a hostile universe. Or if we are, God is with us, and God addresses us, and God sends us on. The lectionary cuts off the story right here. But in the next verse, God directs Elijah to anoint and mentor a successor. And then in the verse following, Elijah meets 7,000 people who have remained faithful to God and had not worshipped Baal. This part of the story really rings true to me. As human beings, when we're in the midst of fear, we can't even see the help that is there. In his fear, Elijah couldn't see that there was a community of faithful people. His primary temptation in his transition is to think he is alone. I have to go it alone. And he was not alone. When we're stuck, when we're in some kind of in-between time and we're not sure of the next direction, we do feel alone. We can't step out of our way of seeing things enough to get perspective. And I, th- I actually think that we need that lament over and over again for 40 days to recite that sense of I'm, I alone am left. And, and that will create the space for us to hear God saying, go. For God to say, you're surrounded by 7,000 people. 
In his fear, Elijah can't see a future. When we're in our own transition, when we're not sure what God is calling to us, calling us to the next thing, Elijah's instinct, which I think is a very good one, was to return to the ancient places, to get critical distance from where he was and then find the places of his faith, faith where others have encountered God before. It's part of why we come to worship and hear the ancient stories time and time again, to get perspective. His encounter with God is a surprise. It's not what he expects. He expresses his lament, a healthy prayer of honesty before God, like our psalm this morning. He expresses his depression, his fear, his sense of failure, that slump that we get right after a a big moment of success, and his longing to die. He expresses that all to God, and God does not leave him in that space. God listens, God sticks with him, God keeps asking the question, why are you here, Elijah? God feeds him, gives him strength, supports him in the wilderness, and has more for him to do. A continuing call. And God has unexpected sustenance. This story is an encouragement for all of us when we fear the future. A reminder that God provides. It's the reminder we have week by week when we come to the Eucharist. A small piece of bread, a sip of wine that will suffice, that will be strength for the journey. Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. Amen.